The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and to this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope. For Tuesday, May 6th, I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my guest, autism expert and pediatrician, Dr. Sean K. Centers, and autism parent, Lisa Megiesi, who participated in the film Invisible Threat. Longtime degreed medical doctor and attorney, Meyer Eisenstein, joins us, as well as Robert Krakow, an attorney who represents people with vaccine injury. David Christopher, an internationally known herbalist and natural healing expert, will be with us in the second half of the show. Today, we're talking about the film Invisible Threat. What is it? According to an April 30th press release from the organization Focus Autism, quote, the national launch of Invisible Threat, a film promoting the world's most aggressive vaccine program, will be screened in the nation's capital on May 1st. The screening will be hosted by Every Child by Two, which has received millions of dollars from five of the largest pharmaceutical companies. Lenient laws defining nonprofits allow, quote-unquote, charities, such as Every Child by Two, to aid the bottom line of industries that fund them. CBS reported on Every Child by Two's ties to the vaccine industry in How Independent Are Vaccine Defenders, end quote. And now... I'm quoting from the Every Child by Two website, quote, the invisible threat film focuses on understanding the science of vaccination and the misperceptions leading parents to delay or decline life-saving immunization. This 40-minute independent documentary produced by award-winning high school student filmmakers has earned praise from more than 50 organizations, including the CDC, Texas Children's Hospital, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins, and Every Child by Two, calling the documentary powerful, fast-paced, well-balanced, and impeccably produced, end quote. And so we are going to hear from our panel today about the science, or lack thereof, of vaccination, misperceptions, whether vaccines are life-saving, and the difference between vaccination and immunization, whether the film was well-balanced, and especially about the purported high school filmmakers. We're going to start with Dr. Meyer Eisenstein because he needs to leave early. Dr. Eisenstein, you kindly took time out of your schedule at your practice home first in Illinois to join us. Welcome. Oh, welcome, Terry. It's an honor and a pleasure to be with you with a really distinguished panel. Thank you. And Dr. Eisenstein, please tell us about your remarkably healthy patient population in terms of autism, ear infections, learning disabilities, etc. And why? Well, I'm very blessed, Terry, because um, 40, 44 years ago, uh, 
when I was a third-year medical student, I met the late Dr. Robert Mendelson. He came to the University of Illinois as a third-year medical student, and I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, and um, I, he had left Head Start, where he was the national medical director. Uh, we had our first child, um, uh, and Dr. Mendelson was questioning vaccines. He said he had over 2 million children under his care. And he found that these children were less healthy than they were a regular population. Now, he was dealing with a relatively indigent population, but he saw them getting sicker and sicker, and he just kind of didn't put it totally together until he left Head Start. And by 1973, um, before uh, uh, five of our children were born, we're blessed with six children, he made the statement, no vaccine has ever shown to cure any disease. And the second one was even more remarkable. Remember, this is over 40 years ago. Every vaccine causes neurological damage. You may not be able to recognize it at first, but every vaccine causes neurological damage. Well, that was all it took for my wife and I uh, to decide that we weren't going to vaccinate uh, our children. And... Um, I started in practice a year later, and um, I, I never made the big issue in the practice. We always offered vaccine choice. We actually gave vaccines. I myself have never given vaccines for the last 35 years. But the schedule back in the 1970s was a fraction of what it was today. And I've been thinking about this the last couple of weeks, and it wasn't that children weren't damaged in the 70s, but the it wasn't in the inordinate number that we see today. And slowly but surely, we kept attracting more and more families who didn't vaccinate uh, uh, and wanted vaccine choice. And as I turn around 40 years later, uh, when we looked at our numbers, we have more than 50,000 children uh, who are not vaccinated, uh, virtually no autism. I use the word virtually because there could be some cases that I don't know about, but seems that everyone knows about every other aspect of my life and my practice. Why wouldn't they bring this up? Uh, and virtually no diabetes, allergy, peanut allergies, uh, uh, eczema, virtually non-existent, you know, uh, in our practice. Ear infections. I was just telling this wonderful uh, young pregnant woman who's sitting right next to me right now, who we're sitting talking about, she's thinking about coming to us after the baby's born, and that over the, we have about 6,000 children under six years of age right now. And over the winter, we had four ear infections out of 6,000 children, of which three we didn't treat wow. with antibiotics. You know, and so, you know, that, that it's, it, it's, it, it's more than just neurological damage. It's also susceptible to other diseases. Wonderfully stated, Dr. Eisenstein. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And uh, to go along with that, I spoke with a vibrant grandmother, Connie Newcomb. She is grandma to 13 non-vaccinated grandkids ages 6 weeks to 7 years old who are all healthy, with no learning disabilities, and who have probably never been to a doctor for an illness. Connie's own five kids had never gone back to a doctor for an illness as children after she learned about natural health from Dr. Mendelssohn's book. And she never gave her kids antibiotics. Connie attributes her grandkids' good health to not vaccinating and natural immunization with healthful foods and good parental health. And then we come to the film Invisible Threat with the alleged invisible threat of not vaccinating. Dr. Centers, who contacted you to be in this film? 
our uh, office was initially contacted by Lisa Postard, and the uh, issue was uh, they were they were interested in seeing patients who had autism or who had recovered from autism. So we were very careful to, to contact those patients, and uh, that's how it started. This was about two years ago. You mentioned Lisa Postard. Um, isn't she the mom of the writer of the film? What's the mom doing being the executive producer of a student film? And did Camille Postard get to be the writer because her mom is the producer? Well, you know, I, I have no idea. Um, what she had told me was that she was a, vol- a volunteer and that she had done this for a number of years. What were you led to believe was the subject of the film? Well, we were led to believe that this was about autism, and they were interested in seeing children who had recovered from autism. And so we contacted some of their families. Unlike uh, Dr. Eisenstein's practice, my practice is really more focused on children who have been injured from vaccines. So we see many children with uh, um, vaccine injuries who, uh, after they're injured, there really isn't uh, viable treatments. And so that's uh, how they contacted us, I believe. All right. So on the CHSTV um, Facebook account, wasn't it posted that the new film would be about vaccination? Did this go along with what you had been told? No, we were not. We were not told that this was a movie about vaccines. Um, We were told that this was going to be a movie about autism. And then uh, I believe that they also said that that, uh, they had initially wanted the movie to be about the immune system, uh, which is kind of surprising uh, when you think about it. Uh, Typically, mainstream medicine doesn't uh, associate the immune system with uh, autism. So did they know in advance, do you think, that the subject of the film would be vaccination when you were told it would be about something else? Well, apparently, uh, after researching some of their websites uh, and their uh, Facebook blogs, I've been told that they actually knew about this. Uh, however, we they did not disclose this to us. So what happened the day of the shoot? So um, Lisa Postard, um, the teacher, Mr. Green, and uh, one student came and they filmed uh, some of their patients with autism. I, uh, at that point, was treating patients, so this was during treatments of patients. I'm an osteopath. We do osteopathic uh, manipulation as well as other other alternative and uh, uh, natural healing methods. Um, so I wasn't at each of the recording sessions with the parents. So they wanted to take the parents aside and uh, speak with them uh, privately. So I wasn't really uh, involved with that. I uh, was primarily involved in them filming the patients that we were treating. And we were very specific to... Uh, to question the parents when they were in the room with the child and try to get them to to, to reveal or, or, or talk about the recovery that their child had experienced. And uh, our focus was upon showing them that 
autism is a treatable condition and that children, when given the right um, approach to health care, can recover from this, this illness. Now, this film has been couched as being uh, an independent documentary produced by award-winning high school student filmmakers. How many students were actually involved? I only saw one student. And how involved was he? Um, He was not extensively involved. Uh, In fact, um, the only real questions that he had were concerning the the osteopathic treatment that we were doing, and uh, he was really somewhat surprised that uh, the uh, to hear the story of the patients who had recovered. There was no questions about vaccines or immunizations or the immune system. So, how did the subject of vaccinations even come up? When I was later uh, interviewed by Lisa Posard. She did ask some questions about vaccines uh, that she claimed that she had uh, she had learned from speaking with the parents, which was Lisa Megacy. Uh, basically, okay. I told her that um, in our practice, we believe that it's the right of the parent to decide. And in my practice, we have many patients that uh, do choose to vaccinate, and we have many patients that do not. And it was an individual decision. And we tried to educate our uh, patients about uh, immunizations and vaccinations. And to be perfectly clear, I uh, am very supportive of immunizations. Uh, I think that a child should be immunized. What is less clear and what uh, I consider more dangerous is vaccination. And I think that when David Christopher comes on, I think he can explain to us that there is a difference and there is a way to immunize children in a safe, natural, and uh, uh, effective way. Dr. Eisenstein, Dr. Centris has just drawn the distinction between vaccination and immunization. Can you tell us the difference, and can you, can you tell us, how do we know that if someone gets vaccinated, that it was the vaccine that prevented a disease rather than the fact that they just wouldn't have gotten the disease in the first place, especially in a country with, say, good food available and good sanitation? Well, you're asking a very good question, Terry. Uh, the, um, well, I, my background is statistics. That was my undergraduate degree. And I also have a uh, master's in public health, and we did a lot of statistical work. And the one chart that always stuck out when it came to vaccines was the take um, diphtheria, take measles, take uh, whooping cough, that most of these diseases had a very low mortality by the time the vaccines were introduced. And the curve looks, if you look at a 100-year curve, that there was high mortality 100 years ago. As time went on, the mortality kept dropping and dropping. By the time the vaccines were introduced, let's say measles, there's virtually uh, a no mortality. And the disease didn't uh, uh, die out right away. It just continued on the same path. And then you take a look, they overlay that with uh, diseases like tuberculosis, cholera, plague, 
um, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, Yellow Fever, all diseases where there are vaccines, but they don't give in this country. And the disappearance of the disease was exactly the same as those that they now give uh, vaccines for. Uh, and the... Um, um, and, and, you know, once again, correlation doesn't always mean causation, uh, but they're, they're trying to take credit for something that most probably would happen by itself. But even worse, my feeling is that the, take, let's take whooping cough. We had 40,000 cases last year, virtually 100% in totally vaccinated children. And what's happening is, we know for a fact, even if the vaccines work, this is from the pharmaceutical industry, they have a limited amount of immunity. We're taking the best case scenario, five years, maybe 10 years, and then you have to give it again. What a great business. Something doesn't work. You give it again and again, as opposed to natural immunity, which is virtually 100%. But even more, let's take a look at antibiotics. The same thing will hold with vaccines. Antibiotics the bacteria become resistant, and now we have super strains, which are killing people, which you don't have uh, antibiotics for. Vaccines are the same thing. When you look at whooping cough, we now have uh, sister strains of whooping cough, which is mostly of those 40,000 children that had the whooping cough. And so we're creating disease by giving vaccines because... We, the whole society will no longer have immunity, natural immunity, and, and now we're creating a problem. One more thing with vaccines, we know that every vaccine weakens the immune system. This is a, a, a given. And by weakening the immune system, you become susceptible, maybe not even to the disease you're vaccinated for, but other diseases. And that's what Dr. Paul King has done with research showing on the flu vaccine. By giving an influenza vaccine, you will become more susceptible to hundreds of other strains just as serious, even if we assume the influenza vaccine is is totally efficacious, and even if it is, it's only to three strains. There's hundreds of strains. So the overall picture, and if you look at it from a public health standpoint, the longer this vaccine program goes on, the sicker our population becomes. Well put. So vaccination does not equal immunization, and when the citizens try to naturally immunize themselves with things like good food and high-quality nutritional supplementation, the powers that be come in and try to um, enact things like codex restricting citizens' access to high-quality dietary supplements. And also, uh, we know that GMO foods are not healthful. So it seems like when citizens try to naturally immunize themselves, the powers that be are trying to take that right away from them. Jerry, you're totally Dr. right, and, and I think they're, lose, they're losing the battle, and i tell you why they're losing the battle. Two studies came out last month, one in the British Medical Journal, the other one in Clinical Infectious Disease, and it dealt with antibiotics. One of them showed that delaying treatment for confirmed upper respiratory infection by four to six days, we're talking about confirmed uh, antibiotic, a confirmed bacterial infection, not only didn't have a deleterious effect, but actually more than half the people didn't need antibiotics. The other study was on urinary tract infections, confirmed, confirmed bacterial urinary tract infections. The same thing, it was kind of an interesting title, it said, if the lab delays giving you the results, 
more than 50% of the people will not need antibiotics because the disease will go away by itself. And, and I think the same thing uh, can be applied uh, to the vaccine, that if we would just stop this concept of vaccination and look at some simple treatments, we've got to look at, like you said, high-quality food, good air, uh, good water, uh, supplementation. You know, all these are wonderful things. And, you know, that's what bothers me. No one who does any type of work on promoting vaccines talks about the pre- prerequisites. Hippocrates talked about it thousands of years ago. Uh, you need three things to do medicine or to, to do a quality medical program. And the first thing you do is regimen. The second is medicine. The third is surgery. Hippocrates said regimen meant getting everything in order in your life, your food, your weight, your sleep, um, your environment, uh, your water. Only after that do you turn to medicine. And, and uh, if medicine fails, then you turn to surgery. In this country, it's backwards. First, we do surgery. If that doesn't work, we do medicine. If that doesn't work, go to an alternative practitioner. So the primary uh, care of natural immunization through healthful foods, uh, supplementation, if, and uh, environment would come first rather than uh, a tertiary or other uh, other means of quote unquote support such as vaccination, which actually skews and takes away the body's natural uh, healing capabilities. Is that correct, Dr. Eisenstein? I think it's totally correct. I just want to make one comment about innocent threats. Uh, innocent threats. Um, I think they've shot themselves in the foot. I want every person in the country to see this movie because I tell you what's going to happen. Uh, they're going to see it, and it's going to be the same thing as happened a few months ago uh, when the Center for Disease Control uh, sent out propaganda um, um, commercials about the dangers of not vaccinating, and it backfired. When they did the survey, they found more people were inclined not to give vaccines after they saw the ads. I think the same thing is going to happen with with this uh, film, even though I agree with you it was funded by the... um, uh, the pharmaceutical industry wasn't made by high school students. I saw the trailer, and if these were made by high school students, then uh, 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 Spielberg is a high school student. <laughs> um, and um, I, I think it's going to have the, the opposite effect because it's so blatantly ridiculous, you know, and so blatantly prejudiced that it carries no, carries no weight. And, and so, in a sense, they're shooting themselves in the foot. As opposed to my mind... To let's have an open discussion about this. Let's do like the the National Institute of Health has done for many other things, like breast cancer treatment, ultrasound during pregnancy, uh, mammogram. What they did is they convened a panel of 20 to 30 experts, and they sat around for three weeks reading all the study and coming up with a consensus. I can tell you what those panels have come up with, and that's why they won't do it. With mammogram, they found that the value of mammogram under 60 of no value. When it came to ultrasound during pregnancy, they found those were expensive baby pictures. And when it came to breast cancer treatment, they found that the more aggressive treatments brought worse results. Many of these were doctors who had different opinions, though they sat in a group and reviewed all the literature. I think the same thing would happen if they took each vaccine and had a consensus panel. They would find that the damage outweighed the good. That's why they're afraid to do it. That's even simpler than doing a vaccinated versus an unvaccinated uh, study. I would, confer, I would 
accept the findings of these committees because when 20 experts get together, uh, of course, they have to have no financial ties to the pharmaceutical industry, but that's the only criteria I would put. Um, and um, they're going to come up with a consensus. It's kind of like when these doctors sat in the room, my guess is they were afraid not to tell the truth. Well, we know that from the clandestine Simpson-Wood meeting in Norcross, Georgia, June 8, 2000, uh, we know that. We know that um, the real information has been hidden from the public. I would say, Dr. Eisenstein, and then we're going to speak with Robert Krakow, that um, I would be concerned that the next study we see, if the powers that be do decide to hearken to advocates' requests for a vaccinated versus non-vaccinated study, that... I suspect it's go- it would probably be a garbage-in, garbage-out study where the- they can then further hide the truthful information from the public. We're going to pick up again with Dr. Centers and Lisa uh, after we speak with Robert Krakow. And, Mr. Krakow, the vaccination schedule in most recent years, did that escalate after liability protection was given to vaccine manufacturers? All those two things coincided uh, in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. In 1986, Congress enacted the National uh, Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. The reason it was enacted is because uh, Congress recognized, and it's the policy of our nation, that vaccine injuries occur. It's also recognized that the field um, is bereft, the medical and science field, of complete and direct proof of how vaccines affect the human body. That's in the law. So in the late 80s, vaccines uh, increased dramatically and pharmaceutical companies had complete and utter liability protection. You cannot sue a vaccine manufacturer if you have an injury, even though it's understood. It's not controversial that vaccine injuries occur. The only controversy, and it is a controversy, how often it occurs. I come to this as someone who represents people with vaccine injury. Um, So I see this and hear this all the time. Um, And I listen very carefully to Dr. Centers, um, and I only had the opportunity so far to view the trailer of this film, uh, very um, um, titled, uh, very uh, volatile uh, title, Invisible Threat. Not clear to me what they're referring to uh, by the title but it smacks of propaganda. But it's very troubling to hear Dr. Centers talk about the apparent misrepresentation of these filmmakers. Now, I looked at the Carlsbad um, High School website, and the program is, is fantastic. It's wonderful that high school students have the opportunity to work on professional-looking documentary productions, Spielberg quality, as uh, Dr. Heisenstein commented, um, they have a film produced about uh, very timely subjects, films um, about the Holocaust and other, other subjects. Um, so I'm looking forward uh, to viewing this film in its entirety. Based on the trailer, uh, it's very troubling. Uh, it appears to be a product of a high-intensity campaign to use this film, and this ostensibly made by students, to advocate for vaccines and, most troubling, to vilify anyone who would question vaccine safety or efficacy, especially parents. So I'm very disappointed by the apparent imbalance in 
this film, Invisible Threat's editorial approach, it appears to be heavily influenced by those who have an axe to grind and does not appear to be even-tempered or reasonable in presenting controversy. The trailer features a um, vaccine uh, pr- uh, maker, uh, uh, an esteemed pediatrician uh, and um, uh, medical doctor, Paul Offit, who himself created a vaccine for rotavirus. By the way, uh, I'll defer to the doctors, but I don't think rotavirus in the United States is a life-threatening disease. Um, and Dr. Hoffitt said something that's shocking to me. He described parents who would criticize or question, not even criticize, question vaccine safety as, quote, evil. I am very concerned about the rhetoric uh, used by Dr. Offit and his bounce because he does appear to me in his rhetoric to be very imbalanced, which is not appropriate for someone in his position. Uh, most parents who question the safety of vaccine are the same parents who conscientiously vaccinated their children. Um, they didn't come to this saying, oh, vaccines are bad, I'm anti-vaccine. They vaccinated their children, and then they observed what happened. Okay? Science cannot tell us how vaccines affect the human body, so it can't answer the question, but we have to look at it more closely. Why would parents question vaccine safety except for their personal experience? Um, and on many occasions, uh, not all, observing that their children regress shortly after receiving vaccines. That's a big question. It has not been answered. You know, Dr. Offit is reacting, and apparently he's been criticized. And maybe someone somewhere called him evil, so he's lashing out uh, against uh, the parents. It's, uh, his rhetoric is not helpful. The rhetoric that seems to infuse this uh, film, and I'll, I'll keep an open mind till I actually see it, also seems not to be helpful in this public health discussion. Why esteemed uh, officials and doctors like Dr. Offit need to resort to that kind of rhetoric um, is, is troublesome. He seems to have lost perspective and forfeited his responsibility to the medical profession and to the public. I think he and the people who made this film, and again, I'll, I'll try to keep an open mind until I actually see the whole thing, but based on the trailer, I think they should reassess their public position. It is the policy of the United States that vaccine injuries occur. It's the understanding of our, nation, uh, our nation's leaders, our policy, that we don't know how vaccines affect the human body. We need to take a close look at this. We have a serious public health problem because of chronic disease because of autism. And if we don't take a serious look at it, we're just going to spiral downward uh, until we cannot dig ourselves out of it. So that, those are my comments on, on, thank you so much for inviting me to comment on it. But uh, I think I agree with Dr. Eisenstein that we, uh, we all should see this film and it should spark a public debate. So for that, I'm very happy. Uh, What I'm not happy about, it seems to be taking extreme advocacy approach that is not itself helpful to the discussion. But we'll handle that. We'll, we'll engage in the discussion and have an honest and open and transparent debate about vaccine safety. Mr. Crack, I thank you. You bring up a good point about families who observed their children regress, um, who were pro-vaccine families. 
for example? Well, I, I, um, let me introduce, I wouldn't even say they were pro-vaccine or anti. They were doing what they thought was best for their children. They listened to doctors' advice. They listened to the CDC's advice. It wasn't a matter of pro or anti. The pro or anti is something that's been injected into this artificially. I'm not pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. I, I have children. I had them vaccinated because that's what you're supposed to do. Um, I now see people with vaccine injuries, so now I have some questions about it. I, I, but I'm not pro or anti is a, are talking points. They're not, they have nothing to do with how parents have to deal with this, how public health should deal with it. But I'm sorry to interrupt. I just had to make that point about this, this false debate that's, that's being uh, promoted. Sure. Okay. So, good point. And I know of another parent who was, um, so much in favor and, as you say, thinking that they were acting, uh, doing the right thing and acting responsibly, that this parent got all of her young child's vaccines to the day they were due. And this is, you know, educated parent. And when she was having her child vaccinated, literally, uh, she, she related that she literally thought in her head, the FDA protects my child. So she thought she was doing the right thing. Her child end up, ended up being labeled with severe autism, ended up seizing looking like a child from the Minamata mercury poisoning catastrophe. So this was someone who would not have been labeled anti-vaccine. This is a parent who would have been labeled pro-vaccine, like so many other families, pro-vaccine, thinking they were doing the right thing, thinking the FDA or other governmental agencies protected their child. Another thing is that um, I want to talk about how these vaccines are tested. So that particular mother's child ended up with heavy metal toxicity, mercury poisoning. And when the public was told that mercury was decreased in vaccines, I won't say taken out, but I'll say decreased in vaccines, and now statistics are skewed with flu vaccines, et cetera, you decreased mercury but increased aluminum, another neurotoxic metal. So when you looked at look at studies where they, they're not placebos. You're comparing one dangerous thing against another. You're not necessarily comparing one vaccine component against plain water or something. Mr. Krakow, would you like to comment on this? Well, uh, my comment is that um, I agree it's not just mercury, and um, when mercury was phased out, it was never uh, ordered to be taken out. It was voluntary, um, and it was never fully taken out. It's still in the flu vaccine. It's still in smaller amounts in many vaccines, um, and it happened over four or five years through 2005 and six. Um, aluminum was increased because the Prevnar was introduced. Um, no vaccines are tested uh, long enough to know the long-term effects of, of, of the vaccines on health. Um, as you mentioned, placebos contain the same problematic adjuvants like aluminum. This is especially true with the Gardasil vaccine that it was tested against a so-called placebo that had a dangerous substance in there, aluminum. Um, so we, we just don't know the answers to these questions. The testing does not 
uh, deal with the issues that we're trying to address. Um, it's short-term reactions that they're testing for the most part, and, and they're not uh, properly testing it for the long-term public health effects of the vaccine. So we don't know the answers to any of these things. You, you know, hear that uh, people like uh, Dr. Offit, and I have a lot of respect for Dr. Offit, and others say vaccines are safe, vaccines are safe. That's the mantra. Um, and the fact is, the majority of people who get vaccines do not, we think, get sick, although we don't really know. But there's a significant number of people who are injured. And um, some people are genetically susceptible or otherwise susceptible because of their nutritional status um, or, or other reasons. Like they're sick at the time they get vaccines. Even, you know, you're not supposed to get vaccinated when you have uh, an illness, but it's done all the time. And I see this all the time in my law practice. So um, it's a one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, we don't understand um, the science. There is, are some inroads and uh, in something called abrosomics to understand susceptibility. We just don't know the answer. So we're, we're blanketing the population uh, with vaccination, and we, we don't know how it affects everybody. I should also add that uh, despite the hysteria that you see uh, with the film's title like Invisible Threat as if it's the uh, red menace, um, you know, the vaccination rates are still at an all-time high. They haven't significantly de decreased. Um, and um, the upsurge, the so-called upsurge of uh, infectious disease like measles at very small pockets. Uh, um, and most of the people who are uh, getting sick from measles and uh, whooping cough, uh, pertussis, um, have been vaccinated. So there's a question about the efficacy of vaccines and why people who are vaccinated are getting these diseases. So maybe the vaccines aren't working as advertised. The answer to that usually is, well, give them more vaccines. And, um, and as we heard from Dr. Eisenstein and I think Dr. Center is that the immunity wanes. Uh, it's not effective. It, it, uh, um, uh, other strains take advantage of the fact that there's immunity to the strains that are, we're vaccinated for, especially with the flu shot. With flu shot, it's a hit and miss every uh, year, and more often miss than not that the vaccine strains uh, do not protect against the circulating virus. All these things are very troubling, and I think they're, very, they're valid public questions. I think the public's right to raise these questions. You're not anti-vaccine if you raise these questions, but um, people who promote films like Invisible Threat, who, who uh, were behind this film, seem to want to suppress that discussion because they think that, that this challenges the vaccine program. And I just think that's a public disservice. Um, but again, uh, it's a great opportunity with a film out there to have this debate, and those of us who have a more open mind about it can raise the questions. Um, and I uh, I think uh, many of us intend to do that. Lisa and Dr. Centers, Robert Krakow mentioned Paul Offit. Lisa, I know you have a daughter who's been doing better. How did you feel when you learned that Paul Offit was involved in the making of the film? Um, I did not know that until I actually, the way I even found out that the film was, was available and was um, out there was that I received an email from my friend that was sent to her from her pediatrician's office about screenings in the San Diego area and that they were going to screen it in certain places in San Diego. And it wasn't until I saw the trailer and saw him on there that I was aware that he was involved. And we need to bring uh, David Christopher onto the line. Hello, David Christopher is joining us now. And we're just going to finish up here uh, uh, with a thought. 
with uh, parent Lisa McGessie and Dr. Centers, if you can bear with us a little bit longer. Sure. Thank you so much. Dr. Centers, who was the cameraman for this film? Uh, that would have been uh, Mr. Green, uh, Bob Green, who uh, was teacher of the students. And in the movie trailer, they talk about students who died from meningococcemia. Can you please better inform our listeners about an outbreak at University of California, Santa Barbara, and the vaccine? Well, meningococcemia, that's a a very rare but extremely dangerous disease, uh, primarily affecting teenagers, especially college students. I think within the last uh, 30 years, there's been sporadic outbreaks at uh, major uh, universities uh, in uh, New Jersey, uh, California, and other uh, places. What is interesting to me is that the majority of these cases, between 40 to 60 percent, are not uh, covered um, by the the vaccine itself. So the people are getting uh, the impression that, in fact, they're protected, where in reality they're not. And that Santa Barbara, you see Santa Barbara cases, is, 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 is very telling. The type of meningococcemia there was stereotype B, and we don't currently have a, a, a vaccine for that. What, though, is most lacking is the information that lifestyle has a very big impact on preventing these diseases. For example, um, in the case of uh, uh, meningococcemia, um, there's certain very significant risk factors that uh, are associated with uh, uh, the disease. So you don't see these outbreaks in, for example, Brigham Young University or Loma Linda University, where they have uh, uh, prohibitions on things like drinking and 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 uh, illicit sexual contact. Because if you actually look at the the studies, there's very high correlation with uh, um, sharing uh, uh, the bed with multiple partners, uh, intimate kissing, uh, and uh, smoking, uh, as related to the uh, acquirance of meningococcemia. So I don't think that people are given the whole story. David Christopher, um, yeah. you're an internationally known herbalist. Thank you for joining us today. And I'd like to ask you, if a citizen decides to forego vaccination, how can they more naturally and healthfully immunize themselves? Well, the best way is just to uh, keep your health up. You know, these these countries that they're having these outbreaks don't need vaccines. They need better nutrition, or they need some nutrition because they're starving. And you're in a starving condition, your immune system's down, and you're subject to these uh, diseases and can't fight them off. And also, a starving person can't as well withstand the toxic onslaught of the vaccine. Exactly. And so um, if, if your nutrition's down... Um, then, then your immune system is down. Yeah, exactly. If a child or adult has already been vaccinated, how can they try to mitigate any ill effects? Well, most likely their nerves have been damaged, you know, because these neurotoxins uh, that are used as preservatives, adjuvants and such, you know, uh, we have to counter that. So giving herbs that uh, would heal the uh, nervous system 
uh, would be what we'd look at. Uh, and, and foods like uh, lettuce, um, celery uh, would also help. So uh, large amounts of lettuce and celery, and then, of course, herbs like uh, valerian, skullcap, and herbs like that, hops. For the nerve damage, you know, there's so much damage that's been done. Um, one of the biggest problems is you can't separate the um, bacteria or the virus that, that for the vaccine from the animal tissue that you grew it on. They can't do that. Right. So you're injecting the animal tissue, and our immune system's uh, geared for uh, fighting foreign proteins being put in the uh, bloodstream. However, they get in there, and so the the danger is is if a, a animal protein, like from a monkey or a gorilla, you know, gets injected in, the immune system attacks it, and then if we have a similar protein being made by our body, the immune system attacks that cell that makes that protein as if foreign, and then we have autoimmune diseases. Exactly. So, it's so as far as I'm concerned, all yeah. the autoimmune diseases out there come from um, vaccines, come from antibiotics, which wipe out your flora and create uh, leaky gut syndrome. And so you get the proteins going in through the gut. And then, of course, uh, painkillers, which destroy stomach lining, which then allows proteins to get into the bloodstream. Right. As the gut goes, so goes the body. Sure. So it's not just toxic vaccine components like heavy metals, which are not good for you, or neurotoxic metals. Um or uh, even the viruses, you know, you're growing these things on animal substrate. It's the mechanisms also of vaccines. Is that correct? Yeah, if we could, if we could get the, just the virus or the bacteria into the system, the immune system react to that without all this other stuff, well, then that might be very beneficial. You know, but uh, it's the other problems. <laughs> it's the toxins. You know, um, so many kids are damaged with this, this mercury, neurotoxins with the mercury, and, and now we've got, what, one in 60 uh, with autism? Well, what if you throw in one ADD in and uh, hyperactive disorders and all these other ones that are just milder forms of that, you throw them all in together, and, and you're looking at a big, big, big percentage of our children are being damaged. Maybe yes, even the majority, learning to, uh, disabilities, you know? Yeah. yeah. Back in 2004, the CDC's autism alarm... Uh, and, of course, it's always an older uh, co- cohort of children from some years back. That autism alarm had um, one child in one, uh, one child in 166 with autism and one child in six with something going on, um, behavioral or developmental problem. And now we have one child in 68, according to the CDC, with autism. And so we know that the number is higher than one child in six with something going on. Yeah, it's worse uh, here in Utah. That's why I said one in 60. It's worse here in Utah, but then we have one of the highest vaccine rates in the, in the nation. Good point. We had this, this right. campaign of vaccinate before two uh, by Governor Levitt and his wife, you know, and we've got like 93% are, yeah, vaccinated. Well, Lisa, your daughter's doing better. Do you want to tell listeners briefly ways that they can help their own vaccine-injured children do better? You know, and that was the whole purpose that I believe Dr. Centers and I thought this film was going to be about. And, um, you know, I, the reason why I agreed to do it was because I do just want to give parents hope and encouragement and let them know that if they have a child affected by autism, that there is 
you know, a light at the end of the tunnel that they can heal their child. My daughter um, was diagnosed in 2007 at the age of 27 months. And um, so it's been, you know, five, five, six-year journey. But she is in a general ed class. She is thriving. Um, most people that meet her on the road or, you know, just meet her today in passing wouldn't even know that she has autism or that she had autism. Um, she has just been our little miracle child. She is just, you know, she's just um, a light, and she makes people smile. She um, is very friendly, you know, and that's one of the things with children with autism is that they tend to be not very social, and she's extremely social and so friendly, and everyone just thinks that she just, she kind of just brings a light into people's life, and I, that's what I wanted to tell people in the film, and that is not what was portrayed in the film at all. So, right. It's really horrible when you want to do something good, and then someone tricks you in, and twists it around. Did you feel tricked? I did. I did. Doctor Sanders. I did. Go ahead. I did. And and to uh, to emphasize the, um, this fact about Lisa's daughter, she. Yes, she's a miracle, but that miracle took a lot of hours and a lot of time and a lot of natural healing methods uh, to to accomplish that. To our, to our listeners, autism is not a designer diagnosis. These are not quirky kids. These are medically ill children, iatrogenically medically ill children, children who can't talk. Children who are teenagers who are not potty trained. This is not a designer diagnosis, and it is a rigorous life that parents go through in providing, trying to provide restoration for their children. So become educated on the real deal about vaccination. In closing, and, I read this was yes. the message that that movie should have given to the American people. The, the, the trials, the absolute day-to-day, in-and-out, um, dealing with the child with autism and their needs and the hope that is there, that's the message they should have told. And instead they, they came upon of the vaccine industry. Can I make a quick comment? Yes, go ahead. I think the main thing we have to do is to prevent the disease from happening in the first place. So if people would just understand how to take care of childhood diseases instead of fearing childhood diseases, that's what we teach at the School of Natural Healing is how to deal with childhood diseases. And I'd much rather deal with a childhood disease than the after effects of vaccines like autism. And so we teach how to take care of it. And the main thing to understand is that the body uses fever to get over these childhood diseases. So if you give an aspirin right at the first, then basically you're shutting off the interleukin-1, which is the signal uh, to start a fever and is also the signal to get your immune system kicked into gear. So you're stopping your immune system from working. So you can't fight the childhood disease. Our children have been given permanent disease. Autism is a label, and underlying physiological conditions include grave damage to the immune system, neurological system, gastrointestinal system, and more.
I leave you with this in closing. I read with interest this post by Jennifer Z. Vaughn, quote, I am a member of a four-generation family who has sidestepped the traditional vaccine cover story. Our eldest family member was born in 1916, our youngest in 2005. With very few minor exceptions, we were entirely unvaccinated. The patriarch and matriarch of our family died at the ages of 93 and 84, respectively. The patriarch, my father, was still working in his lifelong career until two weeks before his death. The second generation, my own, whose formative years ran parallel with the polio era, are now in our 60s, suffer no chronic illness, have no need for prescription drug use, no history of hospitalization or illness-related surgery. I have lived outside the U.S. and visited 18 foreign countries, unvaccinated and without incident. The generation of our own children are now also parents of healthy, high-performing, unvaccinated children who are scholastic and athletic award winners who attend both public and private schools with none of the all-too-common maladies of today's children. And she asks, quote, what are we doing that helps us maintain robust health despite being vaccine-free? Isn't that called immunity? She later says vaccines are pharmaceutical products that are perceived to keep people healthier. But do they? America has the most highly vaccinated population in the history of the world and ranks frighteningly low in parameters of health and infant survival, but extremely high in medical expenditure. It appears that more might not be better. The majority of vaccines on today's U.S. schedule have been created over the past 30 years, coincidentally since the time that vaccine manufacturers obtained legal immunity for their risk. Before that time, were we seeing large numbers of death attributable to infectious disease? No. The leading causes of death in America for the past 50-plus years are heart disease, cancer, and iatrogenic. Iatrogenic means caused by doctor and or treatment. Why, suddenly, are we expected to believe that survival is impossible without these so-called life-saving vaccines? Were these vaccines created out of an urgent need to curb death in a country whose access to clean water, clean food, and medical care is plentiful? End quote. Thank you to our guests on the show today. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.